Our readings from John's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thank you, Kate. Well, good morning, everyone. As Janet said, I'm Peter Freer. I'm a member of this congregation, for anyone who doesn't know me, and an occasional preacher. I don't know whether anyone else heard it this morning, but I was listening to the radio and I heard an example of a piece of software which has been making the news recently called ChatGPT. And they did a demonstration of it, doing a a sort of 60-second homily. And it was really quite scary. So I feel like from now on we need to start our sermons with with a disclaimer saying no artificial intelligence software was used (laughs) in the generation of this sermon. This turgid prose is all my own. So, last week, Ben kicked off a new series entitled Come and Go, and he started with the calling of the first disciples in in Matthew chapter 4, and we heard Jesus command to his first disciples in their boat on the Sea of Galilee, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And that incorporated both aspects of the series, the coming to Jesus and the going out with him in his service. Now today, 
we have the prequel. As, um, yes, yes. As Ben said last week, this encounter on the Sea of Galilee was not the first time the fishermen had interacted with Jesus. Before he called them, they had already had the chance to get to know Jesus. And it took place right after the time of Jesus' baptism. And that's basically what we're going to look at this morning. So the title is Come and See. So let's come and see what we can learn from John's Gospel today. The story begins with John the Baptist. It's the day after Jesus' baptism. And it's taking place not up north in Galilee, as it was last week, but down south, some way east of Jerusalem, on the eastern bank of the Jordan. We can learn a lot from John the Baptist. I love the way he knew exactly who he was, what his role was. He knew that it was all about Jesus. He was but the herald to the coming king. The reason I came baptizing with water was that he, Jesus, might be revealed. We read a few verses earlier. That's his purpose. So in verse 35, at the start of our passage, he says, Look, the Lamb of God. Two of his disciples hear this and take it as a cue to leave John and start following Jesus. John is giving up the fruits of his ministry. Like John, whatever we do, our work, our ministries, our very selves should be subordinated to Jesus. He is the one our lives should be pointing to. His is the name that we should be lifting up. And I hope that we can do that a bit this morning as we look at this passage together. So back to those first two disciples leaving their teacher, John the Baptist, and taking their first initial tentative steps on their new and exciting journey with Jesus. As they followed behind him, it's Jesus who breaks the ice in the relationship. What do you want? he asks. The disciples' reply continues to be a bit tentative. Rabbi, where are you staying? To which Jesus responds with, come and you will see. Now, I don't know what the disciples expected to see, but we do know that on one occasion, when somebody said to Jesus they would follow him wherever he went, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's Luke 9, verse 58. Jesus wasn't inviting his disciples back to some swish campaign headquarters. His home was only ever temporary. Jesus' invitation to come and see wasn't an invitation to a place, but ultimately to meet with him. It's clear that the impact of their time spent with Jesus is profound. After their first day with Jesus, Andrew, one of the two disciples, enthusiastically invites Peter, his brother, to come and meet with Jesus. We have found the Messiah. The following day, Philip is also recruited by Jesus. Now, Jesus' first interactions with Philip aren't actually recorded, but he's obviously deeply impressed by what he experiences of Jesus because he invites Nathaniel using Jesus' own words, come and see. And it's not long before Nathaniel is sufficiently moved by Jesus' insight into his life 
that he declares Jesus to be the Son of God, the King of Israel. Who is this person? Who is this man who rapidly inspired such faith in this growing band of disciples? Well, John, the Gospel writer, squeezes quite a lot into this passage. So let's look at what we're told about Jesus, firstly, by John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist's words are prophetic. Look, the Lamb of God, he says. And the previous day he'd said something similar, but been even more explicit. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The disciples would not grasp the full significance of this until after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They, they, they couldn't have done. But they would have known the significance of the Lamb from scriptures. They would know of the significance of the lamb in the Passover story where the blood of a slaughtered lamb was daubed onto the door frame of the houses of the Israelites on the night that they made their escape from the Egyptian. And that was an action that saved the firstborn children of Israel. They would know the significance of the lambs in the sacrificial systems as sin and guilt offerings in Leviticus chapter 4. Maybe they would remember the lamb provided by God to Abraham as the substitute for his son Isaac in Genesis 22. Or perhaps they recall the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 53 of Isaiah, who pictures a lamb led to the slaughter on whom the Lord laid the iniquity of us all. All of these Old Testament images point forward to Jesus and give significance to his death and his resurrection, the means by which God deals with the sins, the the world's underlying problem of sin. So if the disciples didn't fully grasp this, what did they understand about the man that John had called the Lamb of God? Well, the good news is that we don't have to understand everything before we start following Jesus. Their initial title for him is rabbi, and I think Ben told us last week that rabbis were a feature of first century AD life. They were teachers who gathered a following to pass on their particular school of the theology. The first disciples did at least know from John the Baptist that this, that this was a much greater rabbi than, than John himself. But then when Andrew invites his brother, Simon Peter, he says, we have found the Messiah. Now Messiah, or Christ, just means anointed one. And it's a term that would have been used for high priests or kings, both of whom would have been anointed with oil. And by this time in Israel's history, there was an expectation that God would send a new ruler to liberate Israel from the oppression of the Romans. So the expected Messiah is one who would bring an everlasting kingdom in. So presumably this is what Andrew's expectation was at this point. Here was the one sent by God as some kind of national saviour, as God's eternal ruler. When Philip invited Nathanael, he described Jesus as the one whom Moses wrote about in the law. And this is a reference to Deuteronomy, where Moses tells them, the Lord your God 
will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For more than a thousand years, the Jews had been waiting for this prophet or leader. And according to Philip, this is who Jesus was. Then finally, Nathanael. He is impressed that Jesus was just able to size him up so accurately before he'd even had a chance to meet him properly. Jesus said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So Nathanael's amazed by this and his conclusion about Jesus is, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now I'm not sure that Nathanael understood the phrase the son of God in the same way that we do as Jesus being God in human flesh. More likely someone sent by God or obedient to God, God's special envoy. He again sees Jesus as a Messiah figure, the one promised by God to rule over and bring salvation to Israel. So, to the disciples, even though they haven't spent long together, they already know that Jesus is pretty special. He is the fulfillment of multiple promises from their scriptures. He is going to do something new and exciting in Israel. Only time will tell what. What then does Jesus say about himself? Well, Jesus goes cosmic. He says, he says about himself, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, in saying that, Jesus is taking his disciples back to the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. While he was fleeing from his brother Esau, Jacob stops for the night to rest. You probably know the story. And we read, When he, Jacob, reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth and its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Jacob understood the place where he slept to be holy and called it Bethel, which means house of God. Now, there's an important difference between Jacob's dream and the picture that Jesus paints for his disciples. In Jacob's dream, heaven and earth are connected by a staircase. In Jesus' version, heaven and earth are connected by himself. Jesus himself is the gateway between heaven and earth. And Jesus has also sneaked in another phrase about himself. It's the title that he gives himself in the Gospels more than any other. He describes himself as the Son of Man. The phrase comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, and it's a vision that God gives Daniel, a glimpse that Daniel gets of the very throne room of heaven. So verse 13 and 14 of Daniel 7 read, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. 
He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This title looks forward to the time of Jesus' resurrection and ascension as he ascends to the Father and all authority is given to him and his reign over a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, begins. So we learn a lot of things about Jesus. He's the one promised long ago, the prophet like Moses, the saviour king, the sacrifice who will deal with the world's deepest problem of sin, the gateway that brings together earth and heaven, and the one who rules in human form with all authority over all peoples. Where are you staying? Jesus asked the disciples. Come, and you will see, Jesus replies. Not just come and see the place where he's currently laying his head for the night, but come and abide with me. No, come and abide in me. Be part of what I'm doing in the world Be part of my kingdom. And that's his invitation to all of us. If you've never become acquainted with Jesus for yourself, then that invitation from Jesus to come and see is for you. A bit later on, I think Ben will be sharing some of the ways in which you can come and see for yourself through a couple of courses that the church is running. If you already consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, then that invitation to come and see is also for you. Like the first disciples, our understanding of Jesus evolves. When I first accepted Jesus for myself, I think my faith was really not much more than an understanding that Jesus' death and the resurrection on the cross provided the only means by which a person might be acceptable to God. And if I had any sense, then I'd take that on board in my own life. Bobby, on the other hand, will tell you, and probably already has, that her faith journey began with a sense that she'd failed at steering her own life, and she thought that Jesus could do a better job of it. Both of those are valid starting points, but there is so much more that can help us to see that Jesus is worthy of our worship and obedience. That's true for all of us. There's always more to come and see. When Paul prayed for the Ephesians, his desire was that they would continue to know Jesus better and better. And this is his prayer from Ephesians chapter 1. I'll pray this as a prayer to finish. So let me pray. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen.